If you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Philippians. Philippians. Look, chapter 1. For our reading, we're going to read verses 3 through 7. Again, as we are closing out this five-part series that we've been in, serving in our giftedness. Serving in our giftedness. We're going to speak on in his service throughout the year. Um, There'll be weeks we may not focus on it and weeks that we do. But uh, today we'll close out the idea of serving in our giftedness. Again, that is Philippians 1, 3 through 7. I ask that you you just forgive me as I cough through this uh, <laughs> through this message. Um, it'll get better sometime. Uh, J.D. Morris he stated that nowhere in the New Testament does any of the Greek words translated as fellowship imply fun times. <laughs> We get that? Nowhere in the New Testament does the Greek word translated as fellowship imply fun times. The New Testament does give us examples of what fellowship or biblical fellowship really is. 2 Corinthians 8 and 4, it speaks of fellowship as the joining together in the ministering to the saints. In 1 Timothy 6 and 18, it speaks of fellowship as a sacrificial service and financial aid. In Philippians 1 and 5, it speaks of fellowship in the gospel. In Philippians 1 and 7, it speaks of being partakers in chains and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. In Philippians 2 and 1, it speaks of having fellowship with the indwelling spirit of God. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it speaks of fellowship as emulating Christ's humility and sacrificial love. In Philippians 3 and 10, it speaks of fellowship as knowing Christ Jesus through the power of his resurrection and suffering even when facing death. 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and 16 speaks of fellowship as communion with Christ in his supper. This is what fellowship genuinely and biblically mean. So what we can draw from this is that fellowship has to do with Jesus Christ and his church. So in today's text, that's what we want to draw from here. We want to See how the Apostle Paul helps us to better understand biblical fellowship. The Bible tells us in Philippians 1, 3 through 7, it says, I thank my God upon you, upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being evident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think think this of you all because I have in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains 
and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your protection and your provision. Now, God, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would receive what you have for us. So, God, now we ask that you would hide me behind the cross and you would speak to your people. We ask, God, that you would speak to those who don't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, to where they have to make a decision today. And we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, they would cry out, what must I do to be saved? So now, God, have your way in these next few moments and we give you praise for all that is accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For several weeks, we have focused on serving in our giftedness. We've been sharing the importance of serving to fulfill the purposes of the church. Now, last week, I shared with you that when we think of the purposes of the church, we can simply think of the ministries of this church. And it's not on here uh, um, when we think of the ministries of our church, let me just share what they are or the purposes. Our purpose statements state our ministries. First, we see the focus, we focus our thoughts on the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there, if that is one of our purposes, then ministry is involved. From, from worship, we share that we assimilate to be on mission for the kingdom of God. We infuse the word of God to the lost through evangelism. We teach all believers through discipleship. And we have fellowship one with another. If you take the first letter of each sentence, you will find faith as an acronym. And I'm, I'm just, I just believe that faith, faith is needed for us to do the ministries within the church. And these are ministries of our church. Here at Reedy Branch, we shared last week that we really not request, but we expect anyone who wants to be a member of this church, we expect them to use their gifts to help the church fulfill the ministry of the church. If we don't desire to fulfill the ministry of the church, then there's really no good to be a member of the church. Somebody say amen. Amen. You know, we can all worship. What we found is that when we focus on serving <coughs> the church and our giftedness, then we're serving in worship, in missions, in evangelism, and discipleship ministries. Now, <coughs> we determined, we have determined that we can all be involved in these ministries in some way, shape, or form. When I say all, I'm speaking to the church, those who are born-again believers. We can all be involved in worship because we can all worship the Lord. We can serve others. We can share our testimony with someone who is lost. And we can all become disciple makers. Well, preacher, I'm not a disciple maker. Well, you can become one. (laughs) 
You can become one. As a matter of fact, you're commanded to become one. Not as a member of the church, but as a believer in Jesus Christ. Today, we do want to focus our attention on this last ministry. When we focus on this ministry, I want us to understand that if we get this one right, the others will just fall in place. But we've got to get this one right. If we fail to get this one right, then the others are going to fall apart. The Greek, and that ministry is fellowship. As we focus on fellowship, it should be a priority within every body of believers, every local body of believers. The Greek word for fellowship comes from the root meaning common or shared. So fellowship means common participation in something either by giving to another person or receiving from another person. So give and take is the essence of fellowship. Give and take is the way of fellowship among the body of Christ. So what we find here in this passage is it helps us to see uh, a little bit about fellowship. It helps us to see the origin of fellowship. In order for us to really see this as a ministry, we need to know where it comes from. And the first thing you need to know is fellowship is a God thing. It doesn't matter what anyone else says, fellowship is a God thing. First, it must be vertical before it can be horizontal. We must know the reality of the fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, before we can ever know the reality of fellowship with each other in common fellowship with God. If you don't believe that, if you're not really settled on that, in 1 John 1, 1 through 3, John says this, this, that, that which was from the beginning, Jesus Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which <laughs> which we have, uh, we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. John is saying Jesus Christ was from the beginning and he has come and we have laid eyes on him. We have heard him speak. We have even touched him with our hands. He says here, <laughs> the life was manifested. We got to get this. We got to get this. Life was manifested. In other words, Jesus Christ was manifested. God was manifested to us. He showed us life when he came. And we have seen, we bear witness, we declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. John had to receive it before he could declare it. And John is saying, now that we have declared it to you, we also may have felt that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So what is John actually saying? John is saying that 
before we could have fellowship with you, we had to have fellowship with God because God came here and he presented himself. He revealed himself and we believed. And because we believe, we now have fellowship with him. And because we have fellowship with him, we have shared him with you. And because you have received what we have shared with you, now we can have fellowship because what's common among us is Jesus Christ. So in actuality, no fellowship with Jesus Christ means no relationship with the Father. And no relationship with the Father equals no fellowship with the Father. And when there is no fellowship with the Father, we have no fellowship with God the Son. And when we have, and when there's no fellowship with God the Son, no fellowship with God the Father, then there's no fellowship among you and I. Amen. And since our fellowship with each other hinges on our fellowship with God, then when we're not in fellowship with each other, then we're not in fellowship with God. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? That's the origin of fellowship. You know, <laughs> that's why John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this all will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. In other words, you can't love one another if you're not in fellowship with me. <laughs> You know, I, I, I can't tell. <laughs> I can't tell. Are you, are you really getting this? Uh, let, let me give you an example. Let me give you an illustration. Paul's writing to the believers in Philippi. Do you remember how Paul first got to Philippi? How he became in fellowship with the Philippian believers? Uh, let me remind us first, God's sovereign over everything. So even when things seem to be out of control, God's in control and he has control of what we think is out of control. So what we know is that Paul and Barnabas had completed their first missionary journey. They had come back to Jerusalem and they had gave to the council a report of their journey. And after some time, Paul decides, him and Barnabas decide, we're going to go on another journey. What we're going to do is we're going to go back to all of those places we had visited before, where we had won people to Christ. And in those places, what we're going to do is encourage those believers. They still got a road to hold. Oh, they still got, they still got work to do. We're going to share with them, we're going to share with them uh, some words of encouragement. And what we're, but there was a wrinkle in this. There was something that took place. And what took place was the fact that Barnabas decides he's going to bring John Mark along. And Jesus, and, and Paul says, oh no, I, we're not doing that. John Mark's not coming back. Do you not remember when we were in Pamphylia that John Mark, he left us while we were there? And Paul's, Paul's uh, feelings was this. I'm not going to get beaten. I'm not going to get put in prison. I'm not going to get shipwrecked. I'm not going to get snake bitten. I'm not going to be stoned. I'm not going to be left for dead and not be able to trust the men who are supposed to be ministering along with me. <laughs> so, Paul held his ground. So did Barnabas. Barnabas was intent on mentoring this man, John Mark. So they split up. Barnabas took John Mark. Paul took Silas with him. John, Mark, and Barnabas headed for that journey that they had already planned and mapped out. But Paul and Silas' journey was going to be a little different. So as they headed out, when they got, they headed west. And when they got to Lystra, they met 
this young man by the name of Timothy. And they invited him to join them in, in their mission, uh, on their mission trip. And so when they had gone through a region in Galatia, they were forbidden. Paul was forbidden to go in the direction he wanted to go. He wanted to go up north toward Asia. But there was something forbidding Paul, and it was the Holy Spirit forbidding Paul to take that route. So what happens is Paul has this vision. He has this dream, and he believed this dream would be from the Lord, and, and, and it became his Macedonian call. So when they headed toward Macedonia, they came to this city called Philippi. In Philippi, Paul preached the gospel and many were converted. And if the Holy Spirit had not stopped Paul from going to Asia through this vision that he had received, then we wouldn't have this letter teaching us about fellowship. If we, if he had not have been stopped from going in the direction he wanted to go, and now he's going in the direction God had prepared for him, He wouldn't have been in fellowship with anyone in Philippi. Again, folks, here's what I want you to know. It's a God thing. We can criticize Paul and Barnabas for the way they handled things, but what we know is God separated them and more ministry was done. So let me remind us, all of us who are born-again believers in fellowship with the Lord, and we're in fellowship with each other, it's not by accident. God is sovereign. He has orchestrated each of us being here today. (laughs) You don't believe that, do you? God orchestrated each one of us to be here today. You see, God called me into ministry and he placed me in fellowship with other ministers who helped to disciple me. And when you needed a pastor, God ensured my name came across some some leaders that you had and when they and when you heard me you who were here at that time God fixed it in your heart to where you saw a guy who was wet behind the ears a guy who was really green but someone God fixed in your heart that I was someone that you could work along with and because I was someone you could work along with you were willing to go through some mistakes along with me and because you were willing to go through those mistakes now we're able to see fruit from God's work in and through our lives it's a God thing <laughs> it's not my thing it's not your thing you thought you had figured all this out didn't you? no it's a God thing he's worked all of this out Hooks, my being here in fellowship with you is not because of a skill set that I have it's not because of where I come from I'm not from this area you didn't know me I didn't know you that's not why I'm here our fellowship is entirely a God thing. Aren't you glad it's a God thing? I'm glad it's a God thing. Some of you are thinking, I know what you're thinking. I weren't here when you came. If I'd have been here, you probably wouldn't be my pastor. Well, <laughs> you're here now. <laughs> oh, that I did. Some of you are thinking, well, I didn't want you here preaching. Well, that's fine. Just let me take a moment to help you with that a little bit. See, it wasn't that 
Paul doesn't just show us in this text where fellowship originates. Paul also shows us the operation of fellowship. What do you mean? Well, Paul was thinking, or Paul was thanking God for the believers in Philippi and their fellowship with him. In chapter 16 of the book of Acts, we can see the operation of Paul's fellowship with them. See, when Paul arrived in Philippi on that first Sabbath, he went by the riverside where he saw women gathered for prayer. And there he met this woman who was a seller of purple, the Bible says. The Bible calls her name Lydia, a woman who worshiped God. But there were some things she just didn't quite know. So the Lord opened her heart as she listened to Paul share the gospel. She didn't just listen to him share the gospel. She heeded to his teachings. And so she asked to be baptized when she believed. And she begged Paul and she begged Silas and Timothy to come and lodge with her. Folks, it was a God thing in operation. But that wasn't all that took place in Philippi. Paul met this young girl. And when he met this young girl, she was possessed with an evil spirit. This girl was being exploited for profit by men who had enslaved her to be a fortune teller. And then one day, she began following Paul and Silas and Timothy around, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. This sarcastic tone that she continued to follow them around with, it began to irritate Paul. It began to bother him. It annoyed him to the point where he turned around and in the name of Jesus Christ called for that evil spirit to come out of her. And she was released. She was released from that spirit. She was set free. Aren't you glad to know that he who the son sets free is free indeed? And Paul had fellowship with this girl. Listen, it was a God thing. The whole operation, it was a God thing. But God wasn't finished with Paul. There in Philippi, those men who had possessed, who had taken this girl on, who, who was gaining profit from her, they got upset. They, Paul got in their pocketbooks and they got upset. You understand that? You'll get, hey, you'll, you'll forgive somebody for a lot of things, but when they get in your pocketbook, it's hard to forgive them, isn't it? And so that's what it took place. And it got so bad that they had him thrown in prison. And while he was in prison, he didn't complain. He didn't gripe. He felt it was he felt it an honor to be able to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ so what did he and Silas do I don't know what happened to Timothy I don't know how he didn't get arrested I don't know he might have been there with them the Bible doesn't mention it but what we know is Paul and Silas began to sing they began to worship God and as they began to worship God God began to move I want to tell you folks we need to worship him because he'll move if we'll worship he moved so he shook that jail so hard that all the chains fell off of all the prisoners and because the guard because this jailer he was responsible for all of the prisoners he knew his life was gone he knew once it got reported he would be killed But so he started to fall upon his sword and Paul screamed out ho ho don't harm yourself don't do that we're all here he said listen that's a God thing why would not the prisoners leave because God kept them right where they were at. That gave Paul an opportunity to share the gospel with that jailer. And he led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And it was so glorious to this jailer that he took them home, soothed their scars from being beaten, and he he 
allow Paul to share with the with his family, and his whole family was led to the Lord. Listen, folks, it's a God thing. Paul couldn't have orchestrated that work. It's a God thing. <laughs> So we begin to see the operation of fellowship and how it works. God sent Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He prepared hearts and lives were converted. And now their common bond, their fellowship, is centered around Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, folks, we must admit that all we, we did... All that we've done. We didn't arrive in this place. The same way. And at the same time. You see some of you were born and raised here. Some of you married in here. Some of you. Didn't have a church family. And you were invited to come here. Some of you needed a change, so you were led here. Some of you got saved here. And some of us ministry has brought us here. (laughs) It's a God thing. And no matter the reason why we came, we're here. And from, from the time we come until now, we must continue to be in fellowship with each other. The truth is, more will be raised here. More will marry in here. More will be invited to come here. More will be led here. More will be saved here. And the ministry will bring more here. And we must remain in fellowship. That means that Christ must be the center of everything we do here. We must partner together to, to do the work of the ministry. Folks, it's a God It's not our thing. It's God's thing. (laughs) Yes. Paul helps us to see the origin of fellowship. He helps us to see the operation of fellowship. He also helps us to see the outcome of fellowship. What do you mean, preacher? Well, verse 6, Paul says this. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying he is confident in God. See, Paul didn't say he was confident in the Philippian believers. But he said he was confident in God. He was confident that the work that God had begun was a good work. A work that radically changed lives. No matter what kind of life a person was living, once converted, him or her, into a believer, their life began. And it became a good life. A life of righteousness and purity. A life filled with love and joy. A life filled with peace. A life that demonstrates faith, humility, and self-control. Folks, because we are imperfect... Paul's confident that God will continue the work on us. He will continue the good work until it's completed. It'll be completed when Jesus returns to earth. You see, at that time, 
we will be transformed. Right now, we're being transformed. Right now, he is transforming us. But when Jesus comes, we're going to be transformed. In other words, we will no longer be a project for God. This corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. And we will worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ in perfection throughout all eternity. Lives are forever changed through fellowship. They were changed in Philippi. They're changed here today. Folks, this is a God thing. (laughs) This is bigger than you and I. You know, last week, well, let me not get too far ahead of myself. You know, when Paul wrote this letter, he's under house arrest. The outcome of the fellowship was still going on. Several years have passed since Paul first met these believers in Philippi. But their fellowship continued. They were part of his heart. They shared in his suffering. They joined him in proclaiming and defending the gospel. They joined him in displaying the grace of God that was shown to them. And they joined him in sharing Jesus. I shared last week with you about a friend I met at Campbell, Mark Fields. I shared that we helped each other a lot, that we became close. I shared that we still talk. You know, I graduated in 2010. He finished in 2011. But our fellowship took, brought him to my graduation, and it took me to his graduation. And, and we still, 12 years later, we still have conversations that are centered on Jesus Christ. Every conversation we have, Is centered on Jesus Christ. Now you might be thinking 15 years of knowing each other. How in the world can you still have gospel conversations? How can you have conversations that centered around Jesus Christ? Because our conversations doesn't center on the gossip of other people. Our conversations center on the ministry that God has called us into. Our conversation is about the word of God. Our conversation is about the work of God. And if I'm going to be honest with you, that's partly because of who he is. You see, I don't want you to think I'm trying to tell you I'm higher than anyone else. (laughs) When I said last week, iron sharpens iron, he's been sharpening me for 15 years. If I've sharpened him, he wasn't as dull as I was. (laughs) You remember me. Some of you, <laughs> a lot of us, is, a lot of the ones that want him here has gone on to be with the Lord. <laughs> we know that. But many of you were here. You know, when we talk, when Mark and I talk, we talk about the ministry that God is doing in Benson. And it thrills my heart. And when I talk about the ministry that God is doing here at Reedy Branch, it seems to really thrill his heart. Now, we rarely see each other, but we talk regularly. Because we want to remain partners in the gospel ministry. We want to continue to be a part of growing the kingdom of God. Some of you have friends like that, friends that sharpen you, and friends that you sharpen also. 
friends that when you, they will hold you accountable when you get to hold them accountable. So when conversation starts getting diverted, they pull you back on track or, or you pull them back on track and remind them of, of why or what your fellowship is centered upon. You know, the world, they need to see the outcome of our fellowship. The world needs to see us with, within the church as partners in the heart. They need to see us as partners in suffering, partners in proclaiming and defending the gospel, partners in the grace of God, partners in the Lord Jesus Christ. The world needs to see this body of believers set on loving, living, and sharing the gospel. When the world sees that, they will see an outcome of fellowship and they will see our ministries of worship, our ministries of missions and evangelism and discipleship thriving. So how do we become partners in heart? We all have the desperate need. We all have the desperate need to fall in love with Jesus. Now, I know most of us here are born again, and and I know you love Jesus enough. We love Jesus enough to trust him as our Savior. But the real test is, are we in love with him enough that he's our Lord? When I say that, what I mean is this. Is he first in our lives? Let me say it this way. Is it his way or no way? Are we partners in suffering? What I mean is how do we support our church family when they're suffering? Now, I'm not talking about those that you know well. I'm not talking about those that you are related to or those that you are connected to because you do a phenomenal job with that. I'll testify that to anyone. My question is for all of us, how are we when it's someone we barely know? Does our heart break when you know they're a member of the church by name, but you wouldn't recognize them in Walmart? Or you wouldn't recognize them in the mall when they walk by? Or does that burden you also? I pray that that does because that's why we're one in this directory so we can put names and faces together. That's why we need to fellowship more so that we can get to know the ones that we don't know. Because when it's true fellowship, we're not going to just sit with the ones we're comfortable with. We're going to sit with those we don't really know much about. You know, I keep using the word we in this. Because I'm as guilty as the next. Are we becoming the disciple that helps each other to proclaim and defend the gospel? Are we reassuring others of the grace of God? Are we partnering with Jesus Christ on, to be on mission to reach the lost, no matter what the world has to say? Because if you attempt to reach the lost in an unconventional way, what I mean is if you try to do something we've never done before, the world's going to rip you apart. In one of my classes, and well, in class, and uh, 
in January. One of the guys, he was on a Zoom with us and into our class and he told us how his church, the church where he pastors, how it got started. He got started in a bar. <laughs> now, if you tell somebody in Robinson County that, that doesn't have an open mind for ministry, <laughs> well, I'm going to leave it right there. So you know what the big question from everybody else in class was? How did that church get started at a bar? <laughs> you know, the world will rip you apart if you do something you've, that's never been done before. But you know what Paul said? He said, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So let's keep in mind of who we are. And whose we are. This Christian fellowship. This Christian life with each other. It's a God thing. It's not our thing. So. I, I, I want us all. Just with every head bowed. Every eye closed. As we are just praying to God. To help open our hearts and minds. Help us to see what it is he is doing. And to help us to be in fellowship with one another. How is it that he wants us. To be in fellowship. To be on one accord with one another. As you're thinking, meditating, praying on that. You who are unsaved. I want to share it with you that it's a God thing that you are here today. It's a God thing that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. It's a God thing that you are being drawn right now. That you are being called to come and give your life to him. You see the whole invitation to salvation. It's a God thing. Because God spoke the world into existence. God created man. God gave man everything that man could ever want. And when man sinned. God covered their sin. And he gave them forgiveness. And when man went so far. That God had to destroy the world. God called a man out. And, and God provided salvation for that man and his family. And the whole world was replenished. And, and through time when man continued to rebel against God. God called out from among his people. A man who would obey him. And, and God through the portals of time he, he showed a way to begin for us to be forgiven of our sin and it was through the blood of, of animals the blood of bulls and goats and birds and when that no longer sufficed God sent his only begotten son and when we were dead in the trespass of our sins God he sent his son to die on our behalf he gave his life he rose from the grave on the third day and now he's back with the father and he sent his Holy Spirit. He sent his Holy Spirit to come down and, and convict us and, and call us to himself. And when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and we give our life to him, then God saves us. He washes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He calls us his own and we are made his and nothing can separate us from his love. Folks, it's a God thing. Oh, we are to do is believe and confess so my question to you today are you ready are you ready today to believe that Jesus is the son of God 
Oh, preacher, I believe that. Well, are you ready to confess him as your Lord? Today is the day of salvation because tomorrow is not promised. If you are weary today, if you will come to him, he will give you rest. He will change your life. He will set your feet on a solid rock. He will give you peace, joy, and love like you've never known. He will do it because it's a God thing.